All right, welcome back to another edition of the Busted Header Soccer Podcast. We're going to switch it up again this week. Um, as always, I'm joined by my co-host and every referee union's nightmare, Jake, a.k.a. Halbertius. It's a title I wear with pride. Guess what, guys? Parks is back! What's up, Parks? Got really quiet, Jake. You should stay that way for the rest of the pod, see how it goes. Motherfucker. <laughs> it is Parks Week here on the Busted Header Podcast. Yep, Parks Week. National Parks, make sure to donate to your state's national parks, where they are. Guess what, guys? They need it right now. Guess what? It was Parks' birthday. It was. It was. Probably Happy no. birthday, Parks. Probably the only reason why we're doing this. So I hate I'm the youngest person in this chat. This is weird. Yeah, you're definitely the youngest person in this chat, Chris. I That's... am. <laughs> I mean, Jake is an old, old man. Ancient. Yeah. Ancient. Falling apart. Jake's breaking a, down. Jake's a fossil. Yep. All right, Jake. So what are we doing today? What are we talking about? We're talking soccer. I thought we clarified that. That's why Parks is here. I mean, we did bring him on for the wrong kind of football last time. True. But like, Parks we brought him on here. for hand eggs. Now we got to bring him on for football. So we've got a bunch of, of little prompts here to cover today. Um, I thought I'd start us out with some coaching topics, though. My favorite. And I want to start us out with something really, really wholesome. Uh, I know you both have seen it because I asked you before the pod, but the video of uh, James Milner, Liverpool player, getting subbed uh last week i think i think it was the first of february so just a couple days ago um coming to the touchline really mad he got subbed uh as he walks away to the to the bench uh curtis jones his replacement uh assists the uh i think he assisted mo salah for a goal and milner like turns around and like runs up and just like hugs jurgen klopp who's on the sideline and after they had kind of a a little bit of an exchange as he came off and i just kind of want to know how how rare is it to have a coach who is both a really good coach and a coach that's really fun to play with play for i should say i feel that's kind of a thing that's becoming more and more popular especially in soccer where there's a lot more of the kind of laid back like have fun coaches Versus like the 90s and early 2000s where there was a bunch of hard asses who were like, you're going to run until you puke and then you're going to run some more kind of. So it, I, I mean, just in all sports, not even I would, so, like, I think I, I'm just trying to rack my head about like, who are the actual good coaches who seem like they're good, like really fun people to be around that get this kind of love the way that Klopp gets from his players. Like Steve Kerr yep. is one of those guys that stands out to me. Pete Carroll. And like, he comes up as well. I was going to say, yeah. Maybe, yeah. If you look at your traditional players, coaches in football, uh, and not just our football, but Handig as well. Like, you look at Mike Tomlin and guys like that who, I mean, say what you will, about, say what you will about the Steelers. Like, you've got you've got coaches who are, I guess, more respectful of players as people rather than just meat bags who are designed to be thrown at each other. So, I don't know. That's Antonio those... Brown has some questions about that one, but we can go on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I guess... No, it, I wouldn't say it's as rare as it used to be. I think, like, if you look back at the history of soccer coaches, I think of, like, I'm, I mean, you've got, uh, I'm blanking on names, shoot. Um, essentially, the guy You're the one to that, know this. <laughs> yeah, I know. Basically, um, they're all knighted. I'm completely blanking. I need to look that one up. Um, but it, Sir Bobby Robson. Not Sir, I mean, Sir Bobby Robson's one of them. You've got, you know, Sir Bobby Charlton, or not Sir Bobby Charlton. Um, he was never a manager, but. That was forced habit there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking about. I will like, say there's a lot of different basketball coaches that are definitely got that laid back style. And it's becoming, I feel like, more and more prevalent. Like, I'm looking like a Steve Nash. Like, Steve Nash seems like the coolest person to hang out with. And that's also kind of partially, I think, why he got that job for the Nets. Oh, was, absolutely. 
<laughs> Katie and Kyrie are like, this dude seems chill. Let's have him be our coach. Well, he he was he was KD's coach in Golden State, so mm-hmm. they were they were just friends. Oh, anyway, I just wanted to lead us off with with that because I think it's kind of a fun thing to see coaches who are like Klopp is arguably the best manager in football right now, and also it's fair shout like just seems to be one of the most joyful people to be around in the sport, and I think that's just so rare and so something super valuable. But I guess. In, in a lot of sports, I guess the great coaches are often really great man, man managers nowadays. Yeah. Like, I think I think Steve Kerr and the Warriors, like, if you want to coordinate that much talent, you have to be somebody that people like to be around. And that I think that has changed. I, I don't know. It was just one of those things that popped up on my timeline the other day. And I was like, that that is so fun and so wholesome, and I enjoy it very much. Yeah. And, and for reference, the guys I was referencing were Brian Clough and Don Reddy. Oh. So I'm, I'm going that way back. Yeah. Yeah, I know Clough's name. Everyone knows the other guy. Brian Clough is argued to be one of the most successful like managers of a British team ever. You know, he took Nottingham Forest, who were about as relevant at the time he took them over as they are today. You know, League One, usually Championship side, and he won. You know, he won a couple of First Division titles back then before they were the Premier League, and he won two UEFA Cups, which at the time were Champions Leagues with right. a random ass team from the middle of England. So. I mean, he has a, he obvi- he was not known for his uh, let's say his, he was not known for his ability to you know work with players. You know, you have this old like coaches who sit in their offices and smoke stogies and you know draw up a couple of tactical plans. But at the end of the day, they're really just fielding a team. And back then, I mean, you talk about guys who were innovative. They just made sure their players weren't drunk on a Sunday <laughs> on a Sunday morning when they came in when they came into the dressing room. That was really about it. So yeah, I would argue that it's 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 a progressive movement of coaches moving forward. So I know the point's dead, but that's kind of my thought is and we continue forward, I think you'll get you'll get more and more coaches who are closer in age to the players they're coaching, as well as closer in experience level. So like and we'll probably get into this, but you look at all the coaches who Well, are, actually I, I just want to steal this from you a second because you just transitioned perfectly into my next I was wondering how you was gonna here, which one, was so. <laughs> the the trend of uh, players becoming coaches in their former clubs. Yeah, mm-hmm. no I'd... guys like Ole, Arteta, Pirlo. Uh, I guess Pochettino is kind of a good shout here. Don't forget Super Lampard, Frank. R.I.P. Yeah, yep. it was it was a quick candle, <laughs> but it was a bright candle. I mean, and uh, there's there's a lot to be said for having a bit of prior coaching experience before walking into a job like that, especially Chelsea, which. If you've been around the league and you've been watching the game for um, you know the, na- the last 10 years or so, Chelsea are just a revolving door of managers. If you don't win something immediately, you're gone. And even if you do win a Champions League, you, you could be <laughs> I was gone. Say, even if you do. Exactly. You could be gone <laughs> within 10 little... <laughs> minutes. Like, we look at Andre Villas-Boas, uh, or sorry, um, Roberto Di Matteo, apologies, who jumped in, One of those three names. became an interim manager after, um, I believe it was after Big Phil, um, Big Phil left. And then, uh, and that's, I'm just blanking on manager names right now, but Phil is in like the former Brazilian national team coach. He he coached Chelsea for a bit. He was fired. And then Roberto Di Matteo came in as an interim and won a Champions League. And it was like, oh my God, like, you know, this guy can't possibly get fired. and He was gone within six months. And like, that's just how Chelsea runs. So yeah, if you thought the Chelsea thing as well. Yeah. If you thought they were going to be respectful to a club legend, you were, you were, you were wrong. (laughs) Look, I, he got a very long apology letter. He did. He <laughs> just more than a lot did. of other coaches get. So 
Yeah, especially with that's Chelsea. A, that's a great example of, I guess my question is, do you feel like these former coaches joining their clubs indicates a kind of identity crisis with some of these clubs? See, Like, we don't know. Like, it feels that, especially with, like, Juventus, like, we don't really know where, we are, where we're at. We don't really know what we want to be. So we're just going to slide directly into, you know, this, this idea of the former club legend and... You know, we're going to ride that. I mean, uh, this isn't to disparage Ali or Arteta or any of the other guys, but, like, Ali basically got the job because they weren't sure where else they wanted to go because they yep. tried the tactical guys and it hadn't worked. And he's a quote-unquote club guy, like, understands the philosophy, you know, right, all the other cliches right. you can throw out there. Yeah. I think you bring up a really good point because I think if you look at all of the different managers who have come in and it fit that exact same mold, like, former player... Um, usually I, I wouldn't call like every one of them club legends, you know, like Lampard is obviously that, um, and Arteta was really good for you guys in like the mid, you know, to early, or sorry, mid to 2010, mid to early 2010s. Well, and he had a short stint, but he was captain and did win an FA Cup. And he was so very like, good. Um, I think mm-hmm. people, I, I wish people like look back at the, at his career a little bit fond, more fondly. I and mean, Arsenal didn't win a ton when he was there, but he was always a very good, um, a good technical player from that perspective, but that's a that's a different pod for a different time. Um, I think if you look at each one of those, uh, I guess each one of the examples we've already listed off, right? You've got Perlo or Pirlo at, at Juventus. You've got Ali at United. You've got Arteta at at Arsenal. You've got uh, well, formerly you had Frank at at Chelsea, and you've got other guys around the league. And it's not, I mean, oftentimes players do become coaches, but Koeman at Barcelona. Koeman at Barcelona, and Koeman, and that he's kind of an outlier in this regard because he's had a lot more coaching experience. And I think really True. to delineate. The delineator here is really the coaching experience between the group of guys. So you look at Frank, who came in, I mean, basically off of a media job. He had never had coaching experience up to that point. He was thrown directly into a massive club atmosphere. I mean... Did, didn't he get, like, a season at Derby first? He did. I, I don't know if it was Derby or Villa. It might have been Derby. Derby was Rooney, right? I think it was Derby. Derby, yeah, Derby has Rooney right now. Um, he did have one season at a different club before he came into Chelsea, but I wouldn't really qualify that as, as a ton of experience. I mean, because one season is one season. You, you've seen how, how much a, a, clubs are like giant boats, right? It takes a long time to turn the trajectory of one. You can look at all of our clubs that we support for reference for that because – you know they fell within probably the course of three years, and we've been turning. We've been trying to get people to turn them around since you know the last decade. So, I, mean, one, I love that analogy because I'm just imagining like it's really easy to float a sinking boat. Like you, okay, we plugged the holes. Exactly. You get that like new, fresh coach, uh, fresh coach bounce, and then it's like, all right, now turn left. Oh, oh. Yeah, you had a guy who was better at plugging holes than the last turning. guy. Turning. Nope. <laughs> yeah, but can you can you get it like? Can you can you turn a raft into a sailing like a you know a pirate ship right or a you know a racing ship? This analogy is going everywhere, but you get my point. <laughs> it's like you can get something to roll on four wheels, but can you make it race in Formula One? Probably not. Like that's where that's where the delineator between good like stable coach and great coach is. So the Germans I, say no, we can't race enough one. <laughs> nine. They say nine. Um, so Webster brings his minutia of F one. I was to say yeah, that that, yep. that that went over my head very yep. very easily. It's bristling. It's Mercedes. It's Germany. You guys know that. Yeah, engines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. German German performance invading Poland. Yeah, all that stuff. So, so what I will say a lot of with kind of the the coaches a lot of a lot more modern day coaches, especially in soccer, being 
former club legends who recently retired. Um, I think a lot of it is in part due to the amount of like carousel the soccer coaching has kind of been recently. I feel like every single like a Chelsea has tried so many different managers that who are they going to bring in? <laughs> they fired half the pool there that's on the level that they can coach at a Chelsea. And I think that's the one symptom is there's been so many coaches that have been fired and just let go from different spots that they have either a bad taste in their mouth or they're still getting paid to not coach. And the owners are trying to find someone who will come in, who they know, who they trust, and who do they trust but the club legend that played for them for 10, 12, 15 years. So I think that's partially why you're seeing a lot more of it. Um, but I think the other uh, reason that it's becoming more prevalent is because, uh, especially in soccer more recently, it's been so top-heavy. I mean, it's always been top-heavy with you know money and stuff like that and success. But we're seeing fewer and fewer of the small team just like breaking through and having this revelation. And that's leaving less of the up-and-coming young coaches um, to go to, you know, to be hired on to a, a Juventus, to a Barcelona, to a Real Madrid. It's because that's they just... a great point. There's, there's no up-and-coming talent that's getting, that's winning these, like, getting into the top four or making a title run or stuff like that. You don't see like the, the Mourinho's, like, with, uh, who was the, the Portuguese midfielder he had? Um... Uh, Deco, uh, yeah, is that right? Parks it was Deco. You're talking about at Porto. Yeah, you don't, you don't see that like coach, uh, player pairing leading the the team to big success and then launching both their careers quite as often, do you? I mean, it just the, that player just gets bought right away before they have the success. Yeah, and the mm-hmm. the only thing I can think They're of poached earlier. The only re- the only example of that I can think is not really a, a young manager. It was Leicester a few years back with Conte. Oh yeah. And Lester is an exception to everything. That's weird. True. They're the outlier to, to end all outliers. And our, and, our, and our buddy, the Tinker Man, Claudio Ranieri. And yeah, I mean, speaking of Ranieri, and this is just a weird fact I pulled up, Chelsea have had 16 managers since Roman Abramovich took over. In that same time, mm-hmm. you know, you look at you look at the other stable clubs around, at least the larger clubs that are around the Premier League from those from those years, right? You, Arsenal with. With Arsene Wenger for Lord knows how many years, and then obviously you guys have jumped managers recently as well. Mm-hmm. Same thing with United; you had Sir Alex Ferguson, and then you jump into uh, we don't even talk about David Moyes, but Van Hall, Mourinho, and then now Ali. So you have a you have a coaching carousel at the top. I mean, that's the problem: is success is the only thing that buys you time, and a lot of these guys can't maintain that success because it it's it's literally you have to capture lightning in a bottle to be able to do that. What, what you said, Jake. I think the only one I can think of right now is Bruno and Ali at United because you brought in Bruno and he is literally like the he has the most goals and assists since he came in, which is insane. Which well, I'm I'm more thinking about like the young play. Like uh, maybe a good example here is uh, um, Jack Grealish and, and uh, it's Dean Smith, right? Uh, at uh, at Villa, I believe so. Let me check that one real quick. And like, um, like just the idea of the young player who becomes transcendent and helps carry a coach who then gets yeah. to like become the new tinker man mm-hmm. and start like experimenting tactically. Like a lot of these coaches they are getting their jobs and it's like, all right, play the four, four, two and, and survive until you get the bigger job. Exactly. And, they're, you know, they're not given the creative you don't, freedom. You don't get the, the mystical, uh, special one rising out of the, the, uh, ether anymore. True. Like maybe the closest, uh, Guy is Nagelsmann um, at RB Leipzig, and the, the, that's that's obviously not tied to a specific player. It's mm-hmm. 
but uh, good club philosophy, know, it's, good it's, good building, good like youth management, as well as like backing him in the in the transfer pool, <laughs> right? On the transfer window, right? lots and lots and lots of money. <laughs> that too, that too, lots of lots of that energy drink money. We need to get that energy drink sponsor. Don't don't piss him off. We gotta get that. We gotta get that. Remember, that it's Rosenball Sport. It's Rosenball Rosen Sport. Ball sport. Lawn ball sport, baby. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> But that transitions as well into the into the third thing I was hoping to hit on is this idea. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the studies. And I don't want to get too into them, but the idea that that uh, coaches don't matter. <laughs> um, basically, we we've seen multiple people do studies that say uh, coaching su- success doesn't tend to correlate to winning. Uh, like you can take a great coach, put him in a new situation. Often, it doesn't directly correlate to winning. But what does correlate is money. And I'm I'm curious, you know, Parks especially as a United fan, like you see how spending money has absolutely not helped. Yep. Throwing money in the problem. <laughs> There's maybe not... no no club uh, other than Real Madrid and maybe Barcelona where spending money doesn't help because you don't. I'm just curious what you guys think about the idea that, that coaching doesn't correlate to success because I have thoughts on it. But I, I'm curious what to hear what you guys think. I mean, just a quick question before we get too far into it. This is... Yeah. This is just soccer related is what the survey was. For. No, actually, we see it in in all sports because in um, soccer, I, I mean, it really depends on. There's a lot of I feel like factors that depend on it. It's not simply you put a great coach on a bad team and they're going to do good. The it kind of depends on the play style, the players around, how well the coach is at adapting his play style, especially in soccer, to the players around him, and then just kind of that cohesion that the team has. I think it's, I. I don't think it's as big as maybe some cases make it out to be, but I do think it is very important coaching in, in all sports, especially soccer. I mean, I think it's important um, within soccer itself for different reasons than maybe like other team or other sports, right? Um, and th- this may be this. There's probably some exceptions in things like football and basketball. I can't speak to the basketball side, but I feel like in recruitment, especially, I feel like if you have a manager who plays either a certain style in soccer or a certain like kind of aura of being undefeated, you want to go play for them, right? Like we always talked about um, like the Zidane effect, right? Like you see, you see guys that you guys, you see, you see guys want to go play at Real Madrid, maybe not because of Zidane, but because of the history and the legacy. I think a little bit of that is the manager, right? Like, um, but I don't like who want, for instance, right? It was very hard for, and I, I obviously you have to take my United bias into this one. That's why I'm using the example. No one wanted to come play for David Moyes, like nobody. That was the problem. They couldn't sign people in that first initial transfer window after Ferguson left because who the hell wants to go play for David Moyes? But the instant we brought in Mourinho, we were able to pull the guys. We were able to pull guys like Ibrahimovic and and Pogba and like big names because they understood that there was at least a competent hand at the wheel and one that wouldn't stifle their creative freedom. Little did they know that was actually the case. However, (laughs) that's a different fact entirely. I do think it helps a little, my point being, I do think it helps a little bit with recruitment. Um, and I do think it helps with like overall club trajectory. Cause I feel like you have a chief executive, which for those of you listening who are not soccer fans, that's basically the same thing as a GM. The, the, the chief executive is really there to kind of listen to the manager manage the finances and then work with the manager to pick up players who match both the manager's ideas of what the team should be as well as um, you know make sure that they're not overspending their means right so essentially I think the manager are be emailing that to uh, 
Oh, fuck, I forgot the United guy's name. Oh, Ed Woodward? We don't talk about Big Wood. Yeah. Big Woodward. <laughs> B- emailing thing. that to Ed Woodward so he can p- put that in his or, new job description. Or Stan Kroenke. Also, also can, we, can we give David Moyes a little bit of credit? He got no. Fellaini to come play for him. No. That's that's a big <laughs> no, uh, no, I guess <laughs> big I, I guess in terms of a big player, he was large in size. He was quite literally a big git. True. They had to um, cut him down from a tree farm to get him over there. Oh my lord. Anyway, but I do think it I do think it helps. Like I think the fact that there's younger guys now who have a little bit better player relationship like relationship with players as well as kind of fresh ideas, I think that does help. But Jake, I think it is a good point. I, I would like to see that experiment live with like a club at a decent level, like just go no manager and see how it works. I mean we've seen player managers before, but just like Nobody setting the tactics, letting the players play free form, like that kind of thing. So you just touched on my biggest counter to that to the to the idea is like we the difference between managers maybe isn't that big, but that's because they provide such a necessary baseline. Mm-hmm. Like all managers have to reach a certain level of excellence in order to have the job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you suck at management, you don't last. And you know, usually if you're playing for a wealthy club, like you're a good manager, you have established a decent baseline of success. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about people who then like, yeah, if you give this guy $150 million and you give that guy $50 million, the guy who got a bunch more money should succeed. Yeah. Because you're dealing with marginal advantages at that point. Right. I think it is a, a really important point though, to bring in the correlation between the coach, the style, and how how well uh, they're allowed to mate the team to their style. We look at someone like Liverpool as a great example of a team that's not only spent, you know, a, a pretty good amount of money, though they've also sold well in order. They haven't spent as much. Um, what, what do you call it? Their net spend hasn't been as crazy, but like they spent on exactly who Jurgen Klopp needed. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's. I'd say that's a better that that comes down to good communication between your 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 chief executive and your and your manager. I think that Liverpool. Right. Ha- however, the problem that they're running into now is they're not willing to spend any money now, and that's the thing is I think a lot of and it's more of a commentary on front offices getting complacent. But I think they listened to Klopp and they went out and got what he needed, exactly what you said. And I think a lot of other clubs are trying to penny pinch or like you know you see a chief exec look at a big name and think hey that's who I need or to sell shirts, things like that. Whereas, you know, it seems like a very simple thing to just listen to your manager and try to buy players around that style. And I think the clubs that are succeeding right now are all doing that. If I had to take a wild stab at it, at least the ones who can afford to do it, right? You've got some outliers like in Ligue 1, you've got Lille at the top of the table just well, playing off their, you know, playing their socks off. But Poor Ligue 1. Yeah, poor, we <laughs> gotta love a good farmer's league. Um well, I'm just the. I mean, Liga is gonna get ruined. I, I don't want to necessarily dive into it, but the their financial situation is awful. Yeah, I feel so bad for there's them. There's a lot of they're gonna lose so much talent just trying to keep themselves alive. There's a lot of weird financial situations going on around the world right now, obviously due to COVID. But there's a lot of stuff in Spain too, which is very concerning. But we won't we won't bog down this this no. discussion with that. I do want to circle back to something we made. Sorry, Jake, I just got one thing. Go, go ahead, go ahead. One point that you made, uh, it's kind of the, the last talking point about, you know, the the marginal difference between all these managers, how it's very small. And I think the big delineator there is experience, right? To get up to that level of where you're, you're good, um, you're about as good as everyone else. If you gave everyone else the exact same transfer budget, they're basically going to end up the same. 
I think that delineate like the thing that cuts that is experience, right? Like you've got you've got guys who were in each of those jobs around around the you know the the, the top five leagues in Europe who are young managers who are former players. They got the jobs because they're former players and because they have ties to the club. But the guys who are more successful tend to have a little bit more experience, right? You've got um, Pirlo, who, I mean, arguably he's not doing poorly at Juventus. He has a little bit of managerial experience, but for for what's expected of that team every year, he's falling way short of expectations. The same thing with Frank. Frank only had one year at a separate club before coming to before coming to to Chelsea, and then to some extent Arteta as well. I don't think Arteta has done a bad job per se. He's just a bit inconsistent, and I think that comes from the fact that he hasn't been his own manager. He's been a Pep disciple, which, in terms of people to follow, is not a bad, not a bad mold to follow at all. And he's done a lot of good things for, at the club, from what I've heard, um, and what, from the, like the articles I've read about, like the culture change around the around the dressing the dressing room. However, I think it does a lot of his inconsistencies stem from not having a lower tier job for three to four years or a job in a different league that has fewer pressures on it to where he can rely back on that experience of when he was managing guys who were not as good, right? Or he had to change things up. He didn't have, you know, well, Premier League quality so I, players. I want to push back on this a little bit because I don't think experience is the right word. I think flexibility is the key word. It's always the coach who understands how to change you know, with their situation and mm-hmm. you can, you can learn that from experience. You know, that's, that's usually what you hope is that you have enough experience to understand how to react and how to change. You know, I look at, I, I think it's an interesting contrast um, between Ali and, and Arteta mm-hmm. because Ali has very much been, uh, he shifts every game. Uh, you know, he doesn't necessarily have, um, I don't want to say he doesn't have a philosophy, but he doesn't have a, a formation that he's that he's tied to, or or anything like that. He's very much from game to game. You know, I'm going to tweak something. I'm going to I'm going to react to the opposition a little bit. I'm going to react to my form as a team, and because of that, I think you see kind of wild swings a little bit with United, where sometimes he hits on it really well, and they have you know what was it six something against RB Leipzig that one game and uh, sometimes you end up with games where United look like poop because it just doesn't work and I think you contrast that with Arteta who he has been flexible but he's been flexible over uh, like six week stretches mm-hmm. where he says I'm going to try a formation here and we're going to structure this formation we're going to work in this this uh, this three four three all right you know what I've had some some personnel have gotten injured whatever I need to change to this four three three and now it's a four two three one because I found a you know Emil Smith Rowe comes in and I found a ten and it's fa- that's fascinating to me because I think Arteta's performance has actually been a lot more stable than Ali's but maybe it's lacked the same peaks because you know he's been trying he's been building a floor instead of trying to just find the ceiling all the time and i think it's been a really fascinating contrast between the two no i i get where you're coming on that one so you're saying more like um well i think you summed it up as well as you probably could there ollie being you know going more for going more for like constantly hitting the highs rather than trying to find a, a, a like a a floor to sit on and I, I mean, like, I would agree with most of that. I think that Ali is trying to adapt his tactics to meet the opponent. I think that that's right. Well, that's yeah. And I, I think Arteta is very much. I want to dictate what we do. 
Yeah, so it's like, you, basically Arteta's coming in with a philosophy, like, if we play our best every game, we play our way the best we can every every game, then we'll win. Whereas Ali's like, hey, we're going to game plan and script everything around beating this opponent this way, and if he, you know, if he gets one thing wrong, then it's the end. But if he doesn't, then you 9-0 Southampton. So, or rather, that's probably a bad example, but... You 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 six nothing RB Leipzig at home, or you get da- like you get doused by by Tottenham Hotspur. You know, it's well, one it's, or the other. It's not even that so much. It's just like how do I put it? Uh, like Ollie is willing to just throw the haymaker, and and that's not to say that he doesn't always you know he doesn't sit back in some games or whatever. But like he's willing to make very sweeping changes, uh, except for he always plays Fred and and Bruno. Fred and Bruno play, but. You know, big sweeping changes in in tactics and formations. Sometimes it's the the like the four, what is it? Kind of like a four four two, I guess, where he plays everyone really wide and plays with two strikers. Sometimes it's the lone striker in a four yeah. three. He'll play. Yeah, he'll split both strikers up top. Yeah. You know, he swaps formations. He swaps personnel. Whereas Arteta, it's always you know he's he changes quite a bit. But it's always very little tweaks. I'm going to play Ainsley, Maitland, Niles so that I can shut this winger down. But I'm going to, and then I'm going to focus on the right side instead this mm-hmm. game. But you know, it's always within the same structure and the same formation. It's it's an interesting thing where he he leverages continuity in a way that Ali doesn't. But maybe uh, you know he sacrifices the 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 element of surprise in doing so. Yeah. And yet, I think both of them have actually been very flexible coaches. I think because I think within you're just saying like they're flexible Arteta's, in different ways. Well, right, and because I, I think like I think at first glance you might think that Arteta is an inflexible coach because he plays a consistent structure, and yet I think that within the mentality he has as a coach, he changes what he does quite often. I think that's kind of fascinating to watch because he's he. You know, it's a limit he puts on himself, but it's he he has to make these changes with much smaller um, adjustments, mm-hmm. right? You know, he's not just I, I, how do I put? I in my head, I'm thinking of it like a like a a photo editing analogy, and I blame you, Parks, because I've been watching you edit your photos. Yep. But Ollie likes to just slap an Instagram filter on it something sometimes, and it's just like bam. The, you know, we're going to hypersaturate this thing. And sometimes it looks great. And sometimes you're like, what the fuck were you doing? Yeah. And Arteta's like very much like playing with the levels, just like really subtle tweaks to the curve mm-hmm. the whole time. No, I, I think that's a know, good it's analogy. Just, it's, it's a fascinating contrast between the two. Cause I think both of them have done a pretty good job, especially considering what they took over from yeah. in completely different ways. I would definitely agree with that. I think, and this is more to compliment your point. I do agree. Like Ollie is very much like we're going to change everything on a whim, on a dime. We're going to throw completely new packages at people just to mess with them. But I think a little bit of it is also the personnel challenges he's had. And I don't want to get too deep into this because I know we're straying quite heavily from the original topic. But I think Ollie has had to make a no, lot no. of. Actually, actually, this is point number six. Oh man! Oh man! Number this is six? the fun. This is the fun yeah. of not knowing the outline and when going. You didn't book this. me long enough for six points. You you you've managed you've managed to take this conversation exactly where I wanted to go this whole time. Just, so you're doing I've great. Just been telepathically reading your outline. But keep going, keep going. You you had a point. So, I think that Ali has had some unique challenges at per, with personnel. And I'm not saying other clubs don't, but I think that we I think United, especially the last couple of seasons, have had a lot of Deadwood hang on. And I'm talking like Rojo, Phil Jones, 
Um, well, it's, it's, and that happens to be coincidentally the same issue Arsenal's had with Deadwood, yeah. And I, I think you guys have done a good job, like removing it. But United, like Ollie, has been absolutely ruthless. Like his first season in, we shipped out like I think his first season in, we shipped out Smalling on loan. We shipped out I, you know, I'm blanking on names today, but we shipped out a ton of players. Like we 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 shipped out Guillermo Varela, a bunch of youth academy guys who were just hanging around on the books. We got rid of. A bunch of other players in his second year. We lost that. Uh, uh, Big shouts to Alexis Sanchez. Uh, Alexis, we we got rid of his contract <laughs> somehow. I mean, he's still on loan technically to enter. You guys, you guys. Big shouts to Velcro chest. Fellaini himself. Fellaini was gone. Lukaku, he dropped like ruthlessly, which some people are still pissed about. But I honestly don't think it's a bad idea. And they're they're. I think it put more onus on Rashford and Martial to actually perform and score goals and not hide behind someone, and I think that's done a lot for them. That's a different point entirely. He's also gotten rid of like guys like Diogo Dallo and Darmian, who were just sitting there, like who would occasionally feature because we needed a guy. But like you know, for the except for the one game where we needed a body to play fullback, right? It didn't exactly make sense to keep them on the books, and for some weird, inexplicable reason, other managers kept them. Maybe it was their personality. Maybe it was the fact that, you know, they were good dudes in the dressing room, or they were there as a backup option because someone wanted to play it safe. Ollie said, "No, I'm I'm getting rid of these people. If they don't perform, doesn't matter how friendly they are, or what they bring to the table outside of their performances on the pitch, they're gone." And he's brought in like youth guys. He's done like the United quote unquote thing. But I think his biggest his biggest you know, th- what I've loved most about him as a, as a fan is that he's just completely ripped out the Deadwood. And all of his all of his buys in the transfer window have just been slam dunks, if not slam dunks, then very good. I mean, you could argue the McGuire trade, but that's that's a different point. I think what he has done has been good. I wouldn't necessarily say the value was there, but that's a different topic entirely. So I don't want to get too granular from club to club here, but I think it's I think both. Uh, and I, I hate to keep using Arsenal and United just because we're Arsenal and United. Fans, uh, that's the that's. Hey, I, I I'm think shocked for one. We need to pull in more. We need to pull in a more diverse fan base to this. That's what we need. Well, but I, I think I think the reason is that they're in such interesting contrasts while being in such similar places. So I think United yeah. overall right now have a have a more talented squad, but I think they're actually in a very same pl- similar place now with a again a, a contrast in that I think both clubs have kind of cut out as you say the deadwood. And now it's interesting because Arteta is very much in control at Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Ali, I'm not entirely convinced, is in control at United. So we go back to that, that discussion we had earlier about, you know, uh, clubs being aligned with their coaches and, and front offices being aligned with their coaches. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, if both managers get a chance to spend, which one ends up, you know, getting assets, getting players in that match them more appropriately because i think i think obviously united is a club that's got more ability to spend and more and uh is probably more willing to spend but if they continue to either ignore ollie or maybe ollie gets it wrong i, I don't want to again how does that impact the the trajectory of both clubs because they, they have they're they're at a similar launching point right now between the two of them. agreed and, uh, okay so i think you've got i think you got some very good points in there the the thought that I have with that is I think Ali's already proven that he's a good – I think he's proven that he has a good amount of influence over the board to make decisions. Bruno was his pick. He brought Bruno in. I don't need to say how good Bruno has been. That's that's obvious. I think his other pickups have been very good as well. He chose to bring back Henderson on loan. 
I think that's what lit a fire under De Gea's, you know, ass to start figuring out what the hell he was doing. Um, I think a lot of the moves he's he's had have made sense. They've been like intelligent to me. I think with Arsenal, um, I, I agree. I think Arteta is really like ripped out a lot of the deadwood. The problem is like that's really only left him with like youth academy guys and like the six or seven like core dudes that Arsenal have had. You know, you're like your Aubameyangs. Your um, obviously, I think Pepe is a good transfer. I think we still have to wait on him. He may be like a late bloomer in term. I know you obviously sing his praises. I think there's still a lot more to come from that guy, just based on his like, you know, what I've seen from him in bursts. Um, so, not saying Arteta has oh, been I don't bad. Want get, I don't want to get too deep on Pepe, but Pepe is one of those pl- classic players where I get attached to him, and then a manager uses him completely differently than how I want to see yeah, him used, I, which has changed recently. Arteta has like started playing him on the left and whatever, but I, that's always an, an interesting discussion: is when you bring in a player and then it's like, well, why, why, why are we doing this? Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. What's the point of having him here? We're not gonna play him where he's most successful. Exactly, and I think Arteta is figuring his way out around those guys. Uh, you're gonna hate me for bringing up the the experience discussion again, but I think like having the experience of having a player for multiple seasons, multiple you know transfer windows, and seeing like, okay, does he fit better here or here or here? Like, I don't think Arteta has had to play a player like him in you know four or five positions across the front. Because, like, if you've had, if you've been a manager for a club for multiple years, you have players that age. You have players that you need to say, hey, you don't have that step of pace anymore, but you do have a good passing range. So let's play you here and here and here. I'm not saying that's Pepe, but I'm, I'm giving an example. So I think, the, I think the longer he plays with Pepe, uh, I think the more he understands. It's also just how long you're established exactly. at a club, that too. right? That too. You know, it's 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 not even necessarily prior club experience so much as like how much experience do you have exactly. managing. Yeah, and I should have clarified that. I apologize. It's like, it's more, it's the relationship with the player themselves. But back to your point about, you know, spending, I I would, I think you're going to have to to correct me on on this, uh, Jake, but doesn't doesn't, uh, Arteta have, like, more control over the board than he used to? Like, they're whittling down your board members? Yes. Yeah, there's there's been some changes there. it's, It's in a similar place where it looks like, Kind of like Ed Woodward at United has kind of had a little bit of the uh, control wrested away from him, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and Arsenal's in the same place where they got rid of a few guys and and changed some titles around. And it's very it's, the f- new front office is very much based around Arteta, even if he doesn't have some titles. Ed, Edu is technically the director of football, but his wagon is hitched directly to Arteta at this point. Okay, so I think my only worry with that would be. You have kind of, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this one over to Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gonna be a Bill O'Brien situation okay. in Houston, where you have one man in control, or rather, a very small sect of people in control of everything the from analogy is Stan Van Gundy out here. That yeah, that's that's more accurate. I, I, that one I would not know just based on my limited <laughs> basketball understanding, but I would be worried about one person having the reins and having to do four people's jobs. That's my only concern because. As we've talked about, I think the manager is important from a tactical perspective. And Arteta loves to dig into the books, like you said, make minute changes, loves to move the the exposure slider 10% to figure out what goes on, and then, you know, worry about all the other sliders that apply to the picture. I think he's going to be too involved in that to, you know, also handle, you know, scouting reports and all, all, all true transfers and shirt sales and 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 that's what I'm. That would be more what I'm worried about with a with a singular head at the head of the table. Yeah, they all have the same control and the same vision, but that brain only has 24 hours in a day, and he's got to sleep for six of them. So that'd be my <laughs> worry. Is you you start putting the Arteta 
like hive mind together uh, to control Arsenal and that he just completely burns himself out or doesn't have the experience to tackle certain jobs. So that's my only concern with that. All valid. But Webster, you got anything before we maybe take a little well, break I mean, here? I feel like with that, it's kind of an overstated thing where it's like you can't have one person in charge of all the things. And I think, yes, if that's one sole person making all the decisions, mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but it's incredibly risky because like Bill – Bill Belichick on the Patriots. He's in charge of all the things, and it works out pretty fucking good for them. Uh, but in some other cases, like you said, Bill O'Brien, people want to bring up Stan Van Gundy, which I disagree with. Um, but when they're at the head of the table and they're controlling everything, it doesn't always work out as great. So with something like that, you got to make sure you're you're hitching your wagon to the right guy. And sometimes it's going to work out, but most times it's probably going to not because the, well, you, the you have to get the relationships the under- between them right. Right? You got to you got to make sure that that you know whoever has the final say isn't actually the guy doing the work. Like Park said, you know, it, it's, it's, I have the final say, but I trust my scouts and I trust my GM to get this right. And I trust my contracts guy to get this right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like Popovich, for example, has all the power in San Antonio Spurs, but very much defers to the people around him and, you know, just wields it, wields that power delicately. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think most of it where, it is extremely successful is kind of when there's uh, a group around there and it's not just a bunch of yes men. When there's someone out there giving differing opinions and they may not have the final say. Like you can have a manager or a coach that gets the final say and stuff like that in personnel, but they have to have a good team around them. And you bring up Popovich and that's a great example of of someone who has a great team surrounding him that's very knowledgeable, very helpful, and he trusts them to make decisions as well. His word may be final, but it's not the only voice in the room. So I think the idea of having this all-powerful manager as this like awful thing, it, I think it's I think it's overblown. I think it's been handed to the wrong people, and it can only work for certain coaches and managers. But I don't think it's a bad thing in and of itself. No, that's a fair no. point. I just I just like the amount of wagon hitching um, analogies that we're using out here. <laughs> you got it stuck in my head. No one, no one. <laughs> I just want to let it be known that no one circles the wagons quite like the Buffalo Bills. But that's. <laughs> Shout out to Adi. Oh, that's our, yeah, that's a All shout right. out to Adi. Let's take a quick break here, and then let's get back to talking about some players and uh, some other stuff. Okay, and we're back. And Parks brought games i did bring games we're gonna play monopoly live on the podcast oh i want to play settlers of Catan. <laughs> I, I, I yes jürgen klopp's favorite game the seedler von Catan. yeah we mustn't die we mustn't die the strasse constructing too much we just slow it down i don't want to get labeled as a german uh, podcast <laughs> too far <laughs> we're invading poland next week come back too for far. that i've had two invading poland jokes in one pod berlin to one to warsaw and on one, one tank, tank. <laughs> yeah all right, Parks, what's our game? All right, ladies and germs, we're going to play Who's That Right Back? Oh, fuck. Oh, God. <laughs> Why'd you pick the fucking word? <laughs> Who's That Right Back? I hope it's Hector Bellerin. This game is going to be all based on me giving random teammates of one right back um, who they've played throughout, they've played with throughout their career, and uh, these two stooges are going to try to guess who that right back is based upon 
the individuals they have played with, right? How many bad guesses do I get before I start Googling? Uh, I, I'm going to go, this game is entirely based off of Parks' tips, so yes, I've, how good we do is based on how good his tips I've are. I've tried to make it very easy, right? So I, I have a grievance with Bleacher Report for doing the exact same thing with random players, so I've tried to simple this down so that they can get it within a five-minute span, five to ten-minute span. All right, so, all right Parks, neither one of us have your, have your encyclopedic brain for any of this stuff, but hit us with the first one. Okay, so this right back has played with Luis Figo. So think about the teams that Luis Figo uh, has played fuck. on. Real Actually, Madrid, I I or Barcelona, is. or Inter. Uh, I know who you're it was Inter, say. right? What's his name? Well, he's played with he's played with multiple teams. I had a list of right backs pulled up. <laughs> Do not pull up a list of right backs. <laughs> Damn it! All right, give us give us the second one. All right, he All right, has played on. with Juan Sebastian Veron. Okay, it's Madrid. A very no, spicy, a very spicy right midfielder. Back. Very spicy. So I I I mean I so I now is the point where I would I would recommend start guessing. I'd ask that you guys to start guessing. It's it's a Brazilian. I can't think of his fucking name. Yeah, this is, this uh, is where this is where you uh, have because it's Roberto Carlos is on the left. Remember, it is right back. I specified. Right. All right. Yeah. Salgado is it? Michel Salgado is a good guess, but he's not Brazilian. Number one, and no, number two, that is not the oh, right. Back. Are we going? Are we going for a was Brazilian? That, was I right with the Brazilian? I can't say. <laughs> That's not very helpful. It's not supposed to be helpful. <laughs> uh, Would you like the third player? I should probably put a, I should probably put a limit on how many players I can ask. I, I can I can give you guys the hints. All right. So the third player is Ronaldo. Arabola. I'm sorry. What? What'd you call me? Alvaro Arabola. Uh, Juan Fran. Oh, you're just guessing right back names. I thought you were trying to be like. I thought you were trying to be cute. Uh, no. It's not Marcelo, is it? It's not Marcelo. Marcelo did not play with Man. Ronaldo. I fucking hate this game. I'm so bad at this. Okay. I'm so you're, bad at this. We're not going to get any of these, right? You do understand. Am, am I right that we're talking like early 2000s Madrid? No. That's where we're at. You're completely right? wrong. I just didn't want to tell you that straight up. You're completely wrong. Here's the net. What? Yes. Well, we got it. Okay. Veron like, played in. Wow. I had to think of you're you're gonna do one that we wouldn't guess immediately, but it's a very obvious yes, player. Exactly. No, Chris knows my thinking. Um so essentially I wanted to do I wanted to do a one club man to start this off because it'd be easy to figure out, but there's a lot of guys who played with him who moved on from that inter team, right? Zanetti has been an inter well, was an inter right back for probably what twenty, 20 years? years, yeah. He was there for forever. He for and he never changed either. Like he didn't he didn't look different his entire time there. So shout out to that Argentinian and Italian diet. But the uh, other teammates I had on the list, I started off with all Real Madrid guys to confuse you a little Damn bit. Damn it. Because you have Figo, Hernan Crespo, Juan Sebastian Veron, Maxwell, Patrick Vieira, Mario Balotelli, and Wesley Schneider. I didn't even get to any of the Inter guys. So Did Veron actually play for Madrid, or am I getting that wrong? Um, I don't know if he did. But I don't think he did. It's it's at Chelsea. And then he went I just to didn't Inter. want. I didn't want to correct you. I was just going to let you keep running. So with damn it. it! I thought. I thought. You know what? I was getting him confused. I just started with, uh, right Is it Gravison? <laughs> is that the? Is that the other? Uh, I don't. Big white dude who played in the midfield for Madrid. Gravison. I have no idea. You'd have to throw me the name. Gravison. 
I'm, uh, see, this is why this is why this game sucks for me because I'm not good at this. <laughs> I just uh, like I just like the idea of you guys being dead set on our Brazilian right back from Real Madrid. That this just is about how good you are, not us. One from <laughs> from Inter Milan. I just hey, that's not bad hints, man. That's I, look, I did. You guys zeroed in way too quickly. I was like, all right. No, it, yeah, it's Thomas Gravison's guy I was thinking of. Yeah, it beats the heck out of me. But that was... Right. Who's that right back? It's Javier Do have one game plan? What is this? Bo, bo, bo. Is, there no, is there another one of these? I can throw up one really quickly. I did have a backup one. I only... Uh, I oh, thought it would take you longer. I got him like my second guess. <laughs> it did take back. us forever. It did take you guys a long time. Anyway, that was a mess. But that's All okay. Right. We're gonna get we're gonna get back to this. You can workshop that for the next That'll time. That'll be great in the busted header vault. Next to that one yes, the, <laughs> long oh, no. soccer player podcast that never came out. <laughs> I'm not seeing light. We're gonna move on. Simple question for you guys: What's your favorite player archetype to watch, and why? Webster, you get to go first this time. I'm gonna say a speedy winger. I like a, a winger that's always a threat to just break down the wing and just be gone. Uh, it's something that, I mean, I got into Arsenal watching, like, Theo Walcott and obviously seeing Thierry Henry clips before him. But just that that winger or that forward who just, at any minute, can just break for the goal. And there's nothing the defense can do to stop him. And it's just a one-on-one with the keeper. Inverted or traditional winger? I would say inverted. I kind of like for them to be able to shoot with their with the foot they're coming inside with. So. Oh, see, see, if I if I'm going with the speedy winger, I want the I want the traditional winger. Nah, you got the. Uh, I want I want like that, the, the, the shot the, want... the shot across goal after you beat a guy like you race a guy down the baseline and then blast it across goal is one of my favorites. I don't know, but that's that's my favorite. All right, Parks, how about you? Uh, I've always been a fan of the all action midfielder personally because that's what I always wanted to be, but I was never good enough. The same. <laughs> Cause you, cause you grew up a Roy Keane. I, fan. I did, man. Roy Keane like just killed people. <laughs> and a Skulls fan. I did, yeah. I, I got to, I was pleasured with. Uh, pleasured? I. That's probably. Yeah, I've had a lot of questionable. Phrases. <laughs> are we still doing phrasing? Oh no, we're we're definitely doing phrasing. I had the pleasure of growing up watching a bunch of very good midfielders, um, specifically ones who could hit stuff from you know range and tackle people well so i always enjoyed like the guy who literally covered every blade of grass and like you know was the standard like won the game for his team and you know tackled everybody everywhere essentially how i try to play in, in pro clubs i i am i'm hashtag mr worldwide and if, <laughs> if pitbull's uh theme was a, a midfielder that's what i would want to be so parks's pro club heat map is just the same shade of yellow in every single square. i try to draw it i try to make <laughs> Yeah, he just he fills out the whole map. Is it is it structurally helpful? No, I no, paid no. for the whole soccer pitch, damn it! I'm gonna is, use it. Is he is he in every highlight video? Yeah, it could be in the background somewhere, could be sliding. But I'm gonna could be, be everywhere. Somewhere. But he's in every photo. Hey man, Earth covers seventy or uh, Earth water covers seventy percent of the Earth. I cover the other thirty percent, and I'm gonna be dead by the end of the game. I think Earth does cover seventy percent of the Earth. I think you are correct on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making sense even when I don't mean to make sense, and I've had one beer. Lord. Oh Lord, one still beer broke. And a couple other things as well, though. Yeah, that's that's right. how that's how it goes. All right, Jake, what what is your favorite one? It's it's, it's always it's always the the six the the uh, dropping midfielder the, the libero. There's, some, there's something, yeah. Whether it's whether it's the uh, you know not really so much like the the Conte role the the. Uh, Mukulele role, 
more more the Pirlos, the uh, Tiago Alcantaras, the the guys who just like you know they they more pass good. their way through every game yeah. and they they have possession because to me like the the players who can control the ball on one instep and just shake a guy and and you know the most subtle little dribble and then suddenly they're free and clear in space and they're making this simple pass and yet it's all this from this you know really complex reading of the game. I think it's something that distills uh, the sport into such a, like a, a pristine little moment for me, even more than like a, a goal scored because there's something so unique about the vastness of space in a soccer game and yet how you know impeccable the control and the the IQ has to be for those players. So for me, it's always been the six ever since I started watching like five years ago. Talking about the vastness of space now. Yeah. Kind of real far tangent there in my mind. And how I cover that vastness of space in, in pro clubs. <laughs> All right. So I have a couple more, more gamey things to close us out on here. First things first, you can transplant any team from one league to another league. Which team and why? Okay, so counter question: Can it be? Is it? Is it this year, or can it be any any like era? Let's stick with this year. Okay, Let's stick with this year. I'm not opening Pandora's box. <laughs> I, I was. I, gonna, I, I, I have the mental capacity. A uh, hundred plus, or sorry, uh, an hour into a podcast for me to, to for me to, to pull in 2000 and, 2009 Stoke City and drop them into La Liga and see what happens. <laughs> you know what? I might be here Finally for that. Figure out that question. Uh, if that does that mean they leave uh, the Premier League and I never have to see them play Arsenal? No, because I just I, I just I'm want I, I want the image of Rory Delap throwing in forty yard throw ins into into Barcelona's box and having somebody Look, like if it, sa- if, if it saves Arsenal from a couple Stoke related defeats, I'm all for oh, it. Oh no, we can't have that. Can't have that. That has to that has to remain consistent. I can't modify that timeline. But anyway, back R- Rory Delap remains like one of the few people that Arsene Wenger was ever like mad about. <laughs> Which is just so fun. I do love me some Rory DeLapp throw-ins. But back to the topic at hand. Uh, Webb, we'll go with you. We'll go with you, Sir Chris. No, <laughs> I'm going last. No, You're going I know, last? I know how I want, and it's going to be good, so we're going to wait around for it. Okay, so if I could transplant one team from any league into a different league from this year, right? Am I going yep. first? I guess I've been christened to go first. You're the one talking. Okay, um, I don't want to steal Jake's because I think I know what it is. I would like to see. I highly doubt it. I would like to see. No, steal it. Then it makes them come with a new one. <laughs> I would like to see Aston Villa from from this year's Premier League. I'd like to see them in the Dutch league. I think that'd be an interesting one. And here's why: they have a lot of youthful players, right? And I think the way that they play through a central, you know, attacking midfielder with Grealish, I think you'd have a lot. I think honestly, that Villa team. I know they're not. They're not flying super high currently in the Premier League, but I think they have enough consistent talent game over game because the games that they've lost that I've seen them lose have been very close, very tight, uh, or sorry, very like tight and, and, and gritty. And correct me if I'm wrong, Jake, didn't they like smack? They pantsed Liverpool earlier in the season too. Oh, they, yeah. They have the like case. a 7-2. Yeah, it was a 7-1. And they're ninth. A, I mean, they're they're a few points ahead of Arsenal. They're doing really well. Yeah, and like, I mean. And they have two games at hand. They're a little bit, they're, yeah, and they're a little bit, yeah, exactly. You could They could be up in like the top the top five within a couple of days, depending on they how. They might make a Europa League spot. I think, and I hope they do. I like their I like their style. I would like to see them go up against like your Ajaxes, your Odzed, you know, Alkmaars, your, your Feyenoords. I would like to see how they compare against those teams. Because I think that's a league where, 
you could take you could you could rip Villa out and transplant them into a weaker league. I think that's like the perfect setup where they would have enough gusto to go and win that thing. And I would love to see that because that's a team that deserves something this season. I wish the League Cup and the FA Cup were a little bit more rewarding to smaller teams. Like you had, you know, you had a, you had a Premier League level trophy that was excluded. You know, you if you made the Champions League the season before, you're excluded from you know competing in that competition. I think that'd be a really unique idea. Uh, but that's a separate topic. I think that if you threw I wish the payouts for the FA Cup were a little better for like I do too. Yeah, just wins. The ti- like it would mean so much more for a, for a yeah, league one it, side to it, get to like the quarters. Exactly, it means nothing for you know United or, or Arsenal to win an FA Cup tie. But like you know, it's it's literally the lifeblood of League One. You know, league non league football in, in in England. But separate separate talk. But yeah, that's my pick. Villa Villa in the uh, the Eric. The league I cannot pronounce. Yeah, the Eredivisie. Thank you. I was thinking the I, Swedish football. I like the idea of Villa. I'd put them in the Bundesliga. I think they've got like such a fun athletic midfield that I think they'd really compete in the Bundesliga. I do too, but I just wanted to pick something where I think they would like clearly run away with a win. I mean, Not yeah, run away, they, they but would. They would be. It'd be them and Ajax for for the Eredivisie. Pretty yeah, consistently. And, and that may be a, that may be a crappy take, but I honestly think Villa could compete for a title in the Eredivisie. So. Oh, I I think they'd be probably favorites that's my that's my take for their, their villa is good villa is very good and they're a fun they're a fun team for this exercise because they're they've got some like really good talent and they've got a lot of athletic players and mm-hmm. they've got some really like i think they've got some guys on that team who are going to like in a few years we're gonna be looking back and be like oh that dude was on villa mm-hmm. kind of like we yeah. had Mares. They're, yeah they're, they're gonna, gonna they're gonna, gonna, gonna get stripped few, for like, parts shit that dude was playing for villa they're gonna get stripped for parts which is kind of a bummer because i do like them as a club they've got good traditions they've got a good fan base they've got good history i hope they stay up they were a force to reckon with back in like the mid-2000s just because they were you know they built a consistent team around like ashley young and james milner and yeah, these are all, and uh, Ben Teku came later, but yeah, no, they they definitely had like a consistent team in like the mid to early two thousands, and then like into the twenty tens. So I hope this is yeah. like a second coming of that because they were a team who could threaten a lot of they they were challenging for the title, but they could like take points off people. So that was always fun. But I sorry, hope they bring Ross Barkley back next year. I like the Barkley. Edition. I didn't like Barkley at Chelsea, but I like what he does for Villa. Yeah, I, I don't like. I need to see more out of out of a uh, out of Barkley, but we'll see. Anyway, Jake, your your pick for this. So so I guess I get to go second. I'm gonna cheat just a bit, and I'm gonna go with a team from last year because they're not doing the same quality this year. Oh my god! That was the one thing we just said. Man, this dude literally lays rules out for us, and then tell and look, then breaks look, them. Look. <laughs> it's a great pick, right? I'm taking Atalanta and I'm putting it in the in La Liga. Okay, so last year's Atalanta team that made the quarterfinals? Question mark. Yes. Gotcha. Just just this beautiful passing network, the double diamond, just a really fun tactical team, and yet like Italy is just so structured in some ways, and Italy's so much better now than it was a few years ago. Yeah, like, Italy. Like when I first started watching, just like four or five years ago. Like, Serie A was pretty unwatchable for long stretches, and it's not anymore. Uh, it, it's much better. But I think, like, that Atalanta team would have been so much fun in La Liga. Like, they were already really fun. It's always watch Atalanta. That's the phrase. Always watch Atalanta in Serie A. And if, I think if you take them and you put them in a slightly more chaotic and, like, slightly less, less physical league. Yeah, yeah. Uh, less physical. 
less physical league in Adel- and we're talking about we're talking about you know we're talking about La Liga when we're when we're dropping the uh, the royal S on people. Yeah, I think that would have been so much fun, and I think that Atalanta team is probably fourth in La Liga, fourth or fifth. Mm-hmm. Like would have been that would have been a really fun like. Uh, I I want two games a year of of Atlanta Barcelona, please. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I always enjoyed their fights against Napoli. That was always a good time. Yes, great ones, great um, games. That's a solid pick. No, or, yeah, like I I won't comment too much on that one. I I wholeheartedly agree with that pick. Is it my turn, Mister Chris? What do you have for us, good sir? So I do not have much justification in this pick. So I'm going <laughs> to have you guys. Uh, since I don't really follow soccer as much on a day-to-day basis anymore. So I'm going to go with kind of a more of a historical pick and something that I think will be funny. Um, so I am going to take a team from the Premier League and put them in Liga 1. Liga 1? Okay. So you which put team? them in the Farmers League? Yes. Who, who, who <laughs> is going to grow potatoes? Who? <laughs> you got to guess. <laughs> Wait, we have to it guess is... your pick? It is not a top team. It is a newly Leeds. or a newer Put Leeds promoted. Put Leeds in League team. One. Put Leeds what? in League One. Exactly. I'm putting Leeds in League One. Ah <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, oh my yes. God. Could you imagine yes. that? I mean, <laughs> like, I'm not even thinking from like a like a player perspective. I'm thinking more of the fans. Like, could you imagine? <laughs> I'm thinking Bielsa. Put Bielsa in League I just, One. I love that. I want it to happen. I want I want Bielsa recruiting young French talent. Uh, he could he could win that. He could win that, considering what's going on with them now. Yeah, it w- I mean, they would not be bad. <laughs> they look like they're doing pretty good dude, this year. They're they got a respectable side in the Premier League. Do so Leeds have a draw this season? One. Is my question. Do they have a single draw? I think they do, but I think it's... they do. They have two to be precise. Okay. They are nine, two, and one <clears throat> or ten. Excuse me. So I can read numbers. Almost perfectly balanced as all things should be. Um, no, so I. You I, guys can feel free to explain it, but I think that is the obvious choice now, and why we. Why have you even bothered with this game? We are all we all know that's going to be the no. Thing, I so. mean, the, the obvious choice is to put Leeds somewhere that they weren't, just to see what would what would what would happen. But the, but the only the problem French is that is we like did the see Bielsa the, coach yeah, Marseille and Lille, so like it's been done. But also, yes, <laughs> I don't <laughs> think he's been able to take the gloves off those teams like he has been at Leeds, though. So that'd be my no, thought on probably that one. not. We're like, but. No, I no, I, I think Chris knocked this one out of the park. I think this would be a fun one to watch, just because the players that they've got, how weird they play, the fact that they only they either they just go for it nonstop and they don't care if they lose as long as they went for it. Like that's all that matters to them. I think you'd have a good. I don't know if they'd win the title. I think they'd no, be up I there. I don't even think they'd. I don't. I'm, I'm not even sure they'd the be top I'm five. Looking. Yeah, I, I mean, I like, who top. else is going to threaten... Who else would batter them on a weekly basis? PSG, Lille, Marseille, so Lyon. That's probably, what, six, Pro- six games out of the year where six. it's up in... Uh, I mean, I don't know who else they'd lose to, though. That's the thing. No, I, I would say five or six is where I, where I think they'd end up. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a team where you could dump them into any league and it'd be, it'd be a fun one, I think. But, like, Lille getting all the young French forwards in their academy all of a sudden yeah. would be a lot of fun. I think the I honestly like them in the Bundesliga just at the pace that that league plays. I would love to see them in there. That's my thought. But mm. I think the most volatile. I don't, I don't, know, that this, I don't know that this Lille team fits the Bundesliga. No, I'm not saying Lille. I'm saying Leeds. Or sorry, yeah, uh, Leeds. I don't know if this Leeds team fits the Bundesliga, but like I'd love to see Bielsa coach, like A Bundesliga side. Borussia Mönchengladbach. Blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. I, I just Borussia Mönchengladbach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That's what happens oh, when I'm not looking at it. Minchen Minchen Gladbach. Say that with me, kids. We're gonna get everyone on this pod hooked on phonics after this. <laughs> but that would be a fun one. German phonics, to be specific. But yes, that would be a fun one. Re- really, I don't even care All about the leads. I just care about Bielsa. So, I don't know. All, I'm, I'm happy that there's about. actual justifiable reasons behind my take, <laughs> besides the memes. So. I, I mean, you could have legitimately thrown leads at anything. You, but... you knew we'd get we'd get all all you know mushy about Bielsa. Yeah. I, I don't know if I get mushy about Bielsa. I, I hate leads. I get mushy as, about as Bielsa. As an, I, sure. I hate leads as an institution, but that's that's because I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm a weirdo. All right. So moving on. The last question I have for you guys: You get a hundred million dollar check. You're a mid-table team, say Brighton. What do you spend it on? Youth Academy. Yeah, say the answer that's is a, Youth that's, Academy. That's an excellent. You, you that's an up. excellent answer. Let's stick with players, because the Youth Academy is great, but it's also about fifteen. We have to pick Brighton. Of it. We have to pick Brighton. I'm just saying, someone like that. I would think someone for the, got the a, sake a of the exercise, structure. I think we want to pick one club and figure out what, what we what we would do to it in order to improve it. I was thinking more of a concept of like what players do you consider most valuable, uh, and um, I kind of like you know, an idea. For, for the me, idea of, I, I'll, I'll go. For, I'll, how about this? I go first. I like the idea of like a pimp my ride for for like a football club. Because <laughs> for me, it's like I'd spend like forty million on a six. Just like that's my that's my first like. Give me one of the really good. Oh really? You don't say. You know me, and I, I admitted it earlier, but like I think that having the right six changes clubs. Like you bring up Tiago Alcantara into a club, and you could probably do that for forty million at this point. Like you just know that your club's gonna have a certain level of performance after that. Even if you spend like twenty million and you get yourself a Granite Jaka, like you have a certain level of stability created by that that you don't have necessarily. And for someone like say Brighton, they have uh, uh, Basuma. Is that the guy's name? And, like, he's the biggest reason that they're a decent team is because they already have that player. And then I'm spending probably about the same amount of money on a really good center back because I think you have to have one. Probably spending probably spending about $20 million on a really good keeper. And I'm spending the rest on somebody's academy strike. Do a defense first, then. That's fair. I think that's a good assessment if you want to build, like, a stable club environment. And get something like built up and, and have a baseline of performance within a, a decent league. I'm gonna be balls to the wall here and say I want, I want a like fiery young, uh, fiery young like attacking prospect out of Portugal or Brazil. Maybe not Brazil, but Portugal. <laughs> I want someone who's gonna be like, I, I I want like this is me like taking a mid table team. The the mo- like. Let, let's just say, like, you put me in control of... No, no, this definitely isn't the Manchester United fan who rooted for Ronaldo, CR7 Ronaldo, and uh, Bruno. No, give no. me give me Newcastle. We'll, we'll, we'll take... We'll, all right, we'll do Ty and Weirside. All right, Newcastle. Give me them. I'd like to see... I'd like another forward up top to compliment, um, like, Alex, uh, Alexandru San Martin. San Maxim, yeah. Yeah, same maximum. Same maximum. I'd like another like fast, like exciting forward to compliment him. I'd be paying. To, I'd be willing to pay through the nose for that. So let's say fifty to sixty on that, and then definitely a center half. I would go straight for defense. I think the thing that we see, and this is me going off recent trends, is you look at teams that have made that jump to the next level, and I, I like to look at Liverpool for this one because 
you brought in Klopp, you had a, you had a mentality where that team just scored a ton of goals, but just leaked at the back for so long. And the instant they brought in a world class center half, they won like two trophies in a row and a world class keeper. True, I think, I think Van Dyke has has more to do with it than Allison, but but true, worth, I would agree. I I mean, everyone focuses. No one. Th- that's one of the curses of the goalkeeper is you're only in the spotlight if you fuck something up, aka you know Laureus Karras, um, and his you know. He had a concussion. It's not his fault. I don't blame him for that one either. It's very unfortunate. I feel so happened. bad for them about that. Yeah, but I don't normally root for Liverpool, but watching Mo Salah get his shoulder broken, then watching Loris Karius get a concussion, is bad and then bad. having them lose three to one. Yeah, no. So the the whole thing there point. is, I mean, regardless of what happened in that game, I think your defense is obviously hugely important. But I think you absolutely, need, it's kind of the antithesis of like football, like egg football, and that I feel like you need to build a solid offense and then worry about your defense. Because your offense can outshoot a lot of people, and then if you need to go far in the playoffs, you need to build a solid defense around it. We're talking, when you say egg football, you're talking NFL stuff. NFL American stuff, football. but I think the same right, principle right, right. applies. I think if you have an exciting team, people will watch, you will generate interest, you'll sell shirts, and then you can then focus more on building your defense up. Because I feel like offensive players are, building a stronger defense is easier than building a stronger a stronger attack in, in world football, I would argue. Because... You've got only a handful of teams that are fun to watch. Maybe more than a handful. But there's a lot of very sound defensive teams that have good defensive coaching. And I feel like, you know, the immediate bang for your buck is to get a super attacking side and then work on the defense from there. That'd be my thought on it. But there are many schools of thought. Many people have failed at that task in the past. Isn't that right, Chris? (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right, Webster, where do you go? So for me personally, if I had was given a hundred million dollars in a mid-table team and said and was told succeed, I think the first thing I'd be doing is trying to find some of the the players that are nearing the end of their career, that are in their like early thirties, somewhere in that range, who maybe only have a couple years left but can still perform at a high level, and I'm trying to get them on the cheap. I'm trying to build up my talent talent base that how because a lot of the players on these mid-table sides they're they probably hit their skill ceiling there's not going to be a whole lot that'll you know be starters for a, a team that can contend for a title so that's the first way i'm going to kind of cheaply uh i guess build up uh my talent pool so you're bringing second... in david louise and william <laughs> yeah <laughs> just Diago players Silva. just players that if they go out there and they have a good coach they're going to put in a good shift and then I'm going to combine that with one or two just top-tier prospects. Just a, a pair of guys who are probably two years away from being there. But if we're going to bring them in here, we're going to show what they're worth. And they're either going to make it or they're going to flop. And my season's going to depend on what they can do. Mm-hmm. So, so that's how I would do it. You're, I mean, you're thinking like, and, and because you've got experience on your team, you can build that with those guys. Exactly. They'll have right, guys yeah. that will put them in the right place. They'll... They'll get them in positions to succeed as players, and they'll learn a lot in the process. I was going to ask you to extrapolate on that. Would you have specific positional preferences like Jake and I had, or are you thinking just like in general, like I mean, who's I'd, available at what, and go from I there? I mean, it, it, it always depends on, of course, who's available. It's a very kind of open-ended question in that regard, but uh, specifically I'd look for, uh, especially in the back line, a more experienced group of core defenders. Because especially when you buy defenders, it takes them a while to mesh. Yep, but my my feeling is that the older players that have been in the league longer, who have been around a lot of different pairs in the back line, 
will be able to mesh a little bit sooner. And then combine that with the, you know, the young hot shot winger. Or like the attacking mid who is on Friel's B team, but should probably be on their A team and just needs that playing time. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm kind of looking for in a team. No, it makes sense. I mean, the defensive argument you threw up there was, it doesn't always work, but it does work in practice more often than not. So I'd give you that I one. feel like you have the best chance of succeeding that way. Yeah, no, you're, you're... You're hedging your bets at that point. You're taking you're taking percentage chances at that point, and that does make sense. Like you've got guys who are comparable in multiple systems. They can they can handle different you know different setups defensively. It makes more sense that you'd be able to pair older defensive players. My only worry would be pace at that point. But well, but that's yeah. just like you know uh, Arsenal brought in Mikel Arteta when they did. You know it's just like Mikel was already like thirty at that point, and they paid like. 13 14 million i think for him i can't remember yeah but his like his game was never based on pace and like no his no game was but, but like that's that i think that's what you do is you bring in like you all of a sudden you have a senior you know midfielder who just like he's not going to make mistakes yeah he's he knows and, where and if you're and if you're the guy who's like yeah especially like you know i was thinking more like how do you take a mid-table team to a europa league spot but if you're mm-hmm. thinking like how do i take a relegation team and keep them in you know 11th Mm-hmm. Like that's the kind of purchase where it's like, yeah, get me, you know, twenty nine year old Mikel Arteta, and or you know, like uh, ask uh, ask Man City for David Silva at the end of his contract, and like just give me these players who know what the hell they're doing, you know, bring in like I joked earlier, but like bring in the David Luiz, he knows mm-hmm. what he's doing, he's not, you know, he's not top six quality anymore, but you know, those are guys where they give you a whole lot of value. Now the problem you have to worry about there is like. You don't have a long-term investment anymore, but if if those academy players that you buy up come good, then you know you can start churning things out. Yeah, exactly. No, that makes sense. I mean, I've got no arguments. It's a good point. It's a very good point. I excel in this. All right. Anybody else have anything you want to talk about before we leave? I've got one thing, and that's all. Um, I think we kind of we did this with our, our first podcast. Is your tradition? I, I did. I do like, and I do want to dedicate the podcast to a singular player. Oh. Um, so it's always a random soccer player with me. That's kind of the fun part about it. Yes, um, it is. This Very one's kind of a, it's a somber one. Um, one of my, so when I started watching soccer in the mid, mid-aughts, in 05, roughly, um, United was my favorite team, obviously, but we ran up against a lot of like random teams from like the mid-2000s that were pretty decent and random players who had great names. Uh, and one such player was Papa Booba Diop. Papa Booba Diop. Oh. Papa Booba Diop. Rest and I was getting to that, yes. He was a man of, of, of fun name, fun disposition, and ridiculous play style at six foot five, almost two hundred pounds, just a monster in midfield, destroyer. Um, did not have control of his limbs often. Um, would would fly into things, was very uh, we'll we'll say energetic. Um, but he did pass away earlier this year, or rather in 2020. Um, so yet another thing that 2020 took from us was Papa, Papa Booba Diop and his amazing style of play and his very goofy smile. Um, so I hope his family is doing okay. I hope he rests in peace, and I hope his memory is cherished um, by the Senegalese national team. So that's my uh, that's my dedication to this podcast. I, 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 I love that. I, I just want to say when it comes to random players, one of my favorite Parks moments was the podcast that never made it out because we screwed up the audio. Um, but we did that soccer drafting podcast mm-hmm. and we drafted like all-time teams. 
my team wins. Um, nope. And one of my favorite moments was Parks getting mad at me for not appreciating Lauren enough, the Arsenal right back. Oh, Laurent, yeah. Yeah, one of my favorites. Just speaking of random players, you were like angry that neither uh, Webster or I had picked Laurent because you just liked him so much. And the I also- dude played for so many teams at such a high level and even played for your own damn team. You were like, oh, he's a, kind of an average guy. I'm like, no, you don't understand. No, 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 no. No. You're gonna make me bust out the audio again. Yeah, I love Lauren. That that we need to do another Twitter poll. That was a that was a fun one. We had we had a lot of interaction on that one. It was a good time. The 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 thing that always uh, cropped up was like people are like, oh, uh, Webster I think had Cannavaro, and I was like, either people were were United fans and voted for you, or they were uh, uh, Italian or or uh, um or like Spanish fans, and they were they voted for Cannavaro. Yeah, <laughs> that was one of the two. That was it. Anyway, right, on that note, Papa Boobadia, shout out to him. Shout out to his ridiculous style of play. We miss you, Bob. At least I do. So. Yep. All right. I think that's it for us. Thank you, guys. Uh, I think this is going to replace our three things for this week because <laughs> there wasn't anything really to talk about this week. Nope. You can follow people on Twitter. You know the way. It's in the link in the description. Yeah. Uh, We'll see you next time. Thanks for having me on again, folks. Peace. See you guys. Bye. Today's music was made by Blank and Kit. You can find a link to their music in the description.